It's already been expressed, but we're thankful for everyone's attendance here this morning, and, and Abby and I are certainly thankful for the opportunity that awaits us here. We're excited to be here with you today, and I appreciate everyone who's expressed to us how you're excited for us to be here with you, too. Today is the first Sunday of a new year. It's a time for new beginnings, a time for putting the past in the past, and for making a fresh start. Either this past week or this coming week for some, most boys and girls and their teachers will have returned to their classrooms. Coming up here pretty soon, most college students will be returning for the spring semester. Most of us by now have probably put all the hectic activities of the Christmas season behind us and we're well into the swing of regular life, back in the routine of the new year. And of course, this is a new beginning, both for myself and for Abby, and for this congregation in a much deeper sense. We're embarking on the beginning of our work together. And my hope and my prayer is that this is a, a fruitful time, a blessed time for all of us here in this church. What do you anticipate for this new year? Strickhausen's invited us over to their house yesterday evening. We appreciated that. And Philip told me that he was full of enthusiasm. He was excited. He was full of anticipation about this new year and the possibilities, the promise that it held. Do you feel that way? Or are you filled with dread? Was this year maybe not the best for you and you're worried that maybe this next one is not going to be any better? How do you feel about the future of this church? Are you filled with excitement about it? Or do you worry that, well, I know we hired a new preacher, but maybe they got the wrong guy. You don't have to raise your hand on it. It's okay to feel that way. I hope I convince you otherwise, but you don't have to acknowledge that in any way to me. At least not today, I'd appreciate it. I'll admit that for myself, as with all of us, when we go through any big life transition, there's a mixture of anticipation and excitement. I'm excited to be here and about the possibilities that exist here, but I'm filled with some anxiety, some trepidation. It always comes with any new endeavor, a new routine, getting to know new people in a new place and what your new duties are. If nothing else, I'm not used to preaching with PowerPoint, and so I'm wondering how that's going to go today. I suppose we'll find out. Your feedback is welcome on that. I want to suggest, though, that our attitude, our frame of mind, our perspective on events is what is going to shape whether this new year is a time of victory or defeat for us. It's our attitude towards external circumstances rather than the circumstances themselves that are going to determine things for us, whether we're talking personally, whether we're talking professionally, or whether we're talking, most importantly, spiritually. The Apostle Paul was never one to let 
external circumstances conquer him. Instead, with the help of God, he was determined to win the victor's crown. The text we want to look at this morning was read a moment ago, but I want you to listen again. Listen as his attitude, his determination, his dedication shine through in these words from Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. With Paul's words here fresh in our minds, I want us to think on them, think on them I want us to meditate on them, and here are some suggestions for us to be all that we can be individually, as a congregation, as your new preacher in this new year. First of all, recognize the value of time. How do we value one year? Ask a student who failed a grade and had to repeat. How do we value one month? Ask a mother whose baby arrived prematurely. How do we value one week? Well, editors of weekly newspapers and magazines know there are still a few of them out there. How do we value one hour? Ask someone who's terminally ill and waiting for a loved one to arrive who's running late. How do we value one minute? Ask someone who runs up to the gate just as they see their plane pulling away. I've been there, you can ask me about that. It was on our honeymoon. We had to spend the night in the airport. How do you value one second? Ask an Olympic sprinter. They get down to the tenths and even hundredths of seconds at times. Of course, we know that time is a human construct, that God doesn't wear a wristwatch. God doesn't use a calendar. As Peter says with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God exists in eternity, in a different realm. He exists outside of time. Time isn't strictly an important factor with it. But time is very important to us because we have a limited time frame. As Shakespeare put it, we have our entrances and our exits. We begin with infancy, mewling in the nurse's arms, and then on up through adolescence, adulthood, middle age, into old age, and as he says, sends teeth, sends eyes, sends taste, sends everything. You don't have to say if that describes you this morning. And then on into what follows behind. The point is that we measure our lives in segments of time. What is it that makes a resource, a commodity, valuable? 
Well, one of the factors is scarcity. That is, if there's a big demand for something and that resource is scarce, it's going to increase in value. That's certainly the case with time. And maybe that helps to explain at least somewhat the generation gap. You know, young people feel that they have plenty of time. They have all of the time in the world. It doesn't have very much value to them. So they're not concerned with wasting it or squandering it. But on the other hand, as we age, we begin to realize that our time is growing increasingly scarce. And so it becomes more and more valuable to us. So those over 60 or 70 or 80, they look at those who are under 20 or 30 or 40 and they say, you need to make the most of your time. Don't squander it. Do what you can do today. And those younger people turn around and they say, what are you talking about? We have all the time in the world. And the wider that age gap, the wider the generation gap because of the different value that we place on time. But what I want us to realize is the value that Scripture places on time. And the Bible often speaks of the brevity of life, of the scarcity of time. It compares life to the weaver's shuttle rapidly going back and forth. It compares it to grass that grows up and dies and is burned. It compares it to the shadows of summer that quickly disappear. Or James compares it, you probably remember this one, to a vapor like a fog in the morning that appears for a little while and then it burns away. It's no wonder that the psalmist asked, the 8th Psalm, verse number 6, what is man that you're mindful of him? Statisticians tell us that the average lifespan in the U.S. right now is right at 80 years. And if you're here in this audience today and you're about 21, well, that seems like a long time. But if you're here today and you're approaching 80 years old, or maybe you're even on the other side of 80 years old, you realize that that wasn't very long at all. Think about some statistics. I want you to consider these. These are based on what most people do with their time. On average, most of these are from uh, the UK's Daily Mail, compiled from other sources. If we live to be 75 years old, most of us will spend three solid years, 24 hours a day, acquiring an education. That's grade school, high school, college, obviously some less if they don't go to college, some more if they go on to grad school. We'll spend five solid years, 24 hours a day, eating. Again, some less, some more. Men will spend about four months of their lives shaving. Meanwhile, they'll be waiting around while women spend 18 months doing their hair and spend another year deciding what it is they're going to wear. These are not my numbers. Let's be clear on that. We spend nine years in the aggregate watching television. And because we have so many channels today, we spend 16 months just flipping through channels deciding what it is that we're going to watch. And of course, we all spend roughly, on average, about a third of our lives sleeping. So if you live to be 75, that's 25 years sleeping. Let's go a little bit further and do our own math. Let's suppose that you spent every Sunday, each and every day of your life for 75 years, all through infancy, 
childhood, adulthood, on into old age with the people of God here in the assembly, worshiping the Lord. If you did that, how much time would you spend worshiping God? You put the pen to the paper and you find out that it's less than five and a half months. But you know what? Let's be fair. Let's double that. You say, well, I always go to Bible class too. Well, let's give you the benefit of the doubt and let's say that you're in Bible class each and every time you've never missed in your whole life. So we double that. That's only 11 months. Consider that. We spend 16 months of our lives channel surfing. Bible class, Sunday morning worship service, only 11 months of our lives by comparison. And that's just if you always attended and you never missed. That tells us just a little bit about the brevity of life. But it also says something about our priorities, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Scripture teaches us that life is brief, and it also teaches us that it is uncertain. Time is a valuable commodity, and it's in this precious and delicate vessel. It might break at any moment, and we might lose every bit of it. So, in other words, we have just this one moment, right here, right now. This is all that's promised to us. Everything else is uncertain. We don't know anything about the future. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul would write about the uncertainty of life. He says, now is the day of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Or the Hebrews writer, as he puts it, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because life is uncertain, we must take advantage of the time that we have. Paul realized that. Paul recognized the necessity of seizing the day. He says, I haven't already obtained, I press on. And he uses that imagery there of, of straining forward to what lies ahead. We should think here of like a, a runner straining to the finish line, stretching out there, trying to cross the tape first. Paul strains on, he seizes the day. Do we have that same sense of urgency? Secondly, second thing we want to keep in mind in this new year. Don't be in bondage to the past. We are special beings in that God has given us the ability to remember. And that can be a great blessing at times, but it can also be a curse if we allow it to be. Your memory may be your friend. I, I think about the fact, well, this is my first Sunday here, and this is after being in Spicewood, Texas for eight and a half years and being associated in some way with that congregation for a decade plus. I've known people there. And I have a lot of good memories, happy memories of people there who are my friends, and I'll, I'll treasure and I'll miss them. And in fact, one dear brother, unfortunately, just passed away this Thursday, this past Thursday after we got here. And it's bittersweet, but I'm, I'm happy and I'm honored that they've asked me to go back and I'll do his funeral service tomorrow. But your memory can also be your enemy. I think of my great-grandmother, who was a, a wonderful person, wonderful Christian woman. But she was also one of the most negative and pessimistic people I've ever known in my life. 
After she passed away, my grandmother was going through some of her things and she had a calendar where, you know, sort of a planner where she'd written out things. And on one day she had written, Sam and Ella May, those were two of her closest friends, Sam and Ella May had a party. They didn't invite me. Because she wanted to remember that. There's another time when she had a big surprise birthday party and there were lots of cards there for her and um, one of her sons, my uncle Bill, was there. She was going through her cards after the party and he said, Mom, are you going through those cards to see who all wished you a happy birthday? No, I'm trying to see who didn't come. Some people have that sort of outlook on life. She wanted to remember those bad things. Now, when you look back on this past year, hopefully you'll have a lot of really good things that you'll remember. But also, there'll probably be some unpleasant things that you might be tempted to dwell on. Sometimes we dwell on the negative and we start to feel sorry for ourselves. Maybe this past year was a time of transition in your life. I'm experiencing that right now. I can identify with that. Maybe this past year was a transition that was involuntary. Maybe your job came to an end. You're struggling now to make ends meet. Maybe it was a time of serious illness for you. Maybe you underwent a difficult surgery. Maybe this may apply to some in here, and certainly it does in the community uh, larger. Maybe you suffered the loss of your house or some possessions and natural disasters. Maybe you suffered the loss of a loved one, and you're still dealing with that burden of grief. Or maybe what can be common to all of us, maybe it was just a year, a time where for a season sin really took hold in your life and you're dealing with the burden and the guilt. All of those things can hold us, they can weigh us down, they can keep us in bondage to the past and ultimately they can cripple us. And that's why Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Paul had a lot to forget. He had a pretty checkered past. He was a persecutor of the church, the arch-persecutor of the church. His zeal was so great that he hounded men and women into prison, even to death. He got letters from the chief priest, and he pursued them all the way up out of Judea and up toward Damascus, killing Christians. It's no wonder that he would save himself. He writes to Timothy, he says, I am the chief of sinners. And so Paul could have walked around all of his life with that tremendous burden of guilt crippling him. But if he'd done that, he never would have become the great apostle Paul that we all know. And so Paul says, forgetting what is behind. In other words, God, I commit it to you. I, I seek forgiveness for the sins I've committed in my life. I trust my future to you, and I'm going to try today with my utmost, to the best of my ability, to live this one day for you. I think that that's good advice for all of us, each and every day. Third and finally, we need to establish priorities in our lives. Paul puts it this way. He says, this one thing I do. Now, Paul obviously did more than one thing. We know that just from Scripture. He made tents. He preached. He established churches. He healed the sick. 
He wrote letters like this one we're reading from this morning. So Paul did a great many things, and, and all of those things were important things. But he said, the top priority in my life, number one, is to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we want to make this year all that it can be, if we want to make this church all that it can be, if we want to make our lives all that they can be, we need to make that our top priority too. Now, since you're here assembled with the saints this morning, I assume you believe that God should be a priority in your life. But when you start to establish priorities, you need to establish a pecking order, right? Decide just where exactly God is going to be on that list. So when you ask yourself, who or what is most important in my life, I hope the answer for all of us is right there at the top. Number one with a bullet, my relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is absolutely most important in my life. And if you put that at the top of your list of priorities, just for an easy example, all of us who are here this morning, you'll say this is going to affect all of my decisions, all of my scheduling, all of my relationships. So every Sunday morning, rain or shine, hot or cold, early football kickoffs, whatever it is that might interfere, I'm going to be with the saints, with the people of God, I'm going to worship. We also need to schedule some definite time to spend in prayer. We need to schedule some definite time to spend reading and studying His Word. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for those who are around you. Pray for this church. Pray for your new preacher, if I can be a little selfish this morning. Pray for missionaries. Pray for the other good works that this congregation supports. You'll be blessed. You'll grow in your faith. You'll grow in your trust in the Lord. I think we can sum this all up with a story, an illustration. This is one a lot of you may know because it's been told many times in many different ways, and it's one of those that has made the rounds on Facebook and a lot of different forms. But this is one way to tell it, and it illustrates the point well. It's a story about a time management expert who was addressing a group of business students. And after speaking to them for a while, he told them it's time for a quiz, and he pulled out a wide mouth, one-gallon mason jar, and he set it on the desk. And then he proceeded to pull out about a dozen fist-sized rocks, and he placed each one of those rocks carefully into the jar until it was filled to the top with those large rocks. And he asked them, is this jar full? Well, yeah. Really? He reached down under the desk, and he pulled out a bucket of gravel. And then he poured the gravel into the jar, and he shook the jar so that the gravel went down and filled all the nooks and crannies and crevices there between those big rocks. Is the jar full? A few of them catching on. Well, probably not. You're right. And he reached down, and he pulled out a bucket of sand, and he poured the sand in there, and the sand filled all the spaces between the gravel. Is the jar full? No. He reached down, I heard somebody say it, that's just right. He reached down and he pulled out a pitcher of water. And he poured the water in and filled it all the way up to the brim. And now at last the jar was full. And he asked the students, all right, what's the application of the lesson here? 
And one of these eager beaver business students says, it means that no matter how busy your schedule is, you can always fit one more thing in. But that's not the point. The point is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. So what are the big rocks in your life? They should include at least each and every day making it a priority to draw closer to God, to learn more about His Word, spend time with Him in prayer, spend time studying and, and reading His Word and, and bringing your life into accordance with it. Remember to put those big rocks in or you'll never get them all in. Or to put it as Jesus put it, seek you first, the kingdom of God, and all of these other things, the gravel, the sand, the water, they'll be added to you. May God help us, all of us, to redeem the time in this new year. May we all, like Paul, recognize the value of time, and in doing that, let's leave the past in the past. Don't be held in bondage to it. But instead, let's make God our top priority and make it our number one goal, to serve Him to our utmost. May the Lord bless us all individually as we strive to grow closer to Him and more into the likeness of Christ. May He bless this church as we embark on our journey together. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've never made God that top priority in your life. I want to impress on you today the urgency of the moment, that today is the only day we're promised. If you've been thinking about committing your life to God, I want to urge you, don't delay. Do it today. Put your faith, your trust in Christ. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried with Jesus in baptism. Have your sins washed away. Be added to His people and begin to live this life of God as your number one priority of pressing towards that goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning and you already are a Christian, maybe you've let other priorities get in the way and you need to rededicate yourself to the Lord as your first priority. Whatever the case may be for you, if we can help you in any way, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.